0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Addictive Pod. I'm your host, Adrian. You know that feeling when you're with a group of people, and that voice comes on in the back of your head? What I just said is stupid, or I bet they think that I'm weird. These insecurities, these inner doubts and fears, they drive many of us into addiction. And in this episode, my guest gives her strategy for how she overcame her own mind and no longer has a desire to drink or use drugs. She's the author of a new book, Living an Alcohol-Free Life Your Way, and my first guest from Australia. Please join me in welcoming Mary Stewart. Hello, Mary. Welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm. Uh, I'm still like getting oriented to your background for a second I thought it was real and then it's the chair disappeared so (laughs) these zoom backgrounds are messing with me
1: no it's not real but it is my painting in the background so nice yeah
0: yeah on your website I see there's uh there's art coming up soon right that's
1: correct yeah yeah so I am an artist as well as a writer yeah
0: so what was the drinking culture that you grew up around was your family big into drinking or was it more so people at school
1: um so my dad my dad was a heavy drinker and 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 a lot of the adults when I was growing up or when I was young they used to drink quite a lot Nice to think that you know they looked pretty cool drinking and I wanted to do that too they looked like they were having so much fun um and that's what I was brought up with I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s so quite a long time ago and um, yeah so it was quite normal in Australia for people to drink quite a lot so that's what I grew up around and so it wasn't really the I suppose it was the culture but it was more my insecurities and my the catastrophizing that used to go on in my head about myself and my um, lack of self-confidence um, that's really what led me to drink as much as I did.
0: How do you understand it now, this um, insecurity and catastrophizing? What do you think that was all about? Did something happen when you were a kid that sort of led you to think of yourself as less than others? Or, or was this just something that you, as far as you can remember, you've always had?
1: Uh, from as long as I can remember, I've always, when I was younger, when I was really small so younger than 10 um, I always like change my clothes I want people people to think I looked pretty I wanted you know people to like me and that just got worse as I got older so it was from it was probably just part of my personality I suppose because I was different to my brothers and my sister um, they didn't really care about those types of things and they didn't they weren't so insecure I suppose um, and and I don't think that they thought I was either so I masked that uh, lack of self-confidence throughout particularly when I went into my workplace um, because I started working in hospitality so of course you have to um, you know put on an act that you know you're quite confident and friendly and all of those things not that I wasn't friendly but um, yeah all of those um, things that you feel about yourself you have to mask those things to in order to get through work. I also worked in call centers. I also um, worked in community services as well. So all of those roles were personable roles um, where I had to- Keep a smile on your face
0: and make sure everyone thinks that you're doing good. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then working in hospitality, that, of course, that's a big drinking culture, working in hospitality. Um, So that just got worse. So I started drinking in sort of late high school. I mean, I did start- having a few sips from the fridge and things like that from, and that's in the book. Um, But from when I was like small, because I grew up around people that, you know, older people that drank. um, So it was okay for kids to give their kids a a little sip of beer or whatever when they were, when they were little. But as I got older, like that was, that just became the norm that, you know, just having a a few drinks here and there then I binge drank through most of my first marriage so events and parties and things like that I would drink to excess I would you know just heavily drink at parties until I passed out or offended someone or um those types of things so it just got progressively worse and then it turned into daily drinking so when my marriage was sort of falling apart I started to sort of drink just before bed so like I would have Mm -hmm. like without my husband knowing, like I was drinking, you know, like just a few sips before bed and um, then it just got progressively worse. I ended up in a relationship where I was taking drugs and um, and that sort of got, that relationship wasn't a great relationship. I never had really anything in common with this person either. So, you know, that time of my life and then after I broke up with him, and being single wasn't good for me either so you know that did everything just got progressively worse
0: when you were binge drinking at parties and basically passing out i mean your husband must have seen this friends must have seen this going Mm -hmm. on in your life did you did anybody call you out on this and really try and address what was going on or was it just accepted as hey she's just having fun
1: um some people were like – I was always the person that was known to be the big drinker. So I was always the one that – so I would drink a lot, likes a lot. Um, So drink, drink, always drink till the end of the party. I was always the last one to leave. And always people invited me to parties because they knew that I was the big drinker and I would right. – You know, because in, in the middle of the night I was the fun drunk and, you know, people were – um you know, having fun with me and things like that. So um, people would often invite me to parties because of that. Um, so yeah, I was known as the big drinker. Um, and, and some people were concerned more so when I was single, um, that people were really concerned that I was drinking way too much because I was drinking alone um, at home um, at during that time, but I was drinking most days.
0: I'm interested about in the relationship after your first marriage, when you start to abuse drugs as well. And Mm -hmm. I think this is so common with addiction. It's like, it's very rare that I'll talk to somebody. It's like, yes, there was one substance involved. And that one substance for my entire life, did the drugs um, help you with anxiety even more? Or was it that alcohol was really uh, your best friend at that time? And that really made you feel the way you wanted to feel?
1: Oh, I think, I think they both made me feel good at the time or what i thought i felt good at the time um but it was more to just forget about things forget about my insecurities forget about my catastrophizing that was going on in my head um, but yeah it was more those sort of uptight drugs that rather than the alcohol so the alcohol used to balance everything out and then i'd take ecstasy and um you know speed and things like that on methamphetamines. I- I suppose we can call them. But um, yeah, so I used to take those types of drugs when I was out at parties and then I would have, I would drink as well. So then everything would just sort of level itself out. But then right. I don't know whether anyone knows about coming off ecstasy. It's not a good thing. So, and speed and things like that. It's not a pleasant um, downer um, coming off those types of drugs did that
0: ever affect uh, when you're going to work the next day or anything like that? Or, or when did it start to hit some consequences?
1: Oh, so it did affect my work performance. So I was a really high achiever at work. So luckily for me, um, it never really particularly got noticed because then I would just sort of fall back within the pack. Um, so because I was always excelling at work. And then when things were not great, I just sort of was doing what everyone else was doing. So it didn't really, didn't really get noticed per se. There were a couple of times that I had the DTs at work. Um, I had to give a speech on one occasion where, um, when I was a team leader, and I had to get up and and I was actually shaking. I couldn't stop, and people just wow. thought I was nervous, but it, that's what it was. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, it, it was starting to affect my work, and then it's yeah it. I I had, I had to do something about it. It was just getting out of control.
0: When did you hit the point where you thought, "Okay, I really have to pump the brakes here. This is not the way I want to live."
1: So there were three separate occasions that I attempted to to quit. The first time I attempted to quit was when I was 36 and my one of my high school friends passed away from brain cancer. So mm-hmm. That really hit home to me because I'm like, I'm 36 too. I can't keep abusing my body and, you know, I'll end up in this situation myself. So that's when I thought, no, I have to, that was like sort of my first rock bottom, I suppose. Um, I decided I need to quit. So I quit for about three or four months, but I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have a plan of how I was going to do it. I didn't prep myself for, for wanting to quit. So that didn't work out well. So I ended up starting to drink again. Um, on that occasion as well, I started, um, I I was depressed at the time. And I, I'd say that was from, you know, the times that I was taking drugs and drinking so much and things like that. I have no doubt that that's the reason why I fell into yeah, that. Suddenly your brain
0: is like, where's all the stimulation? Where's the dopamine? That's it's exactly right
1: exactly right Adriana. it was just you know i think my brain was just trying to process what was going on and so i ended up on antidepressants and that didn't really go well for me either because i wasn't happy and it wasn't sad i just had this they didn't make me feel good they didn't make me feel not so good it was just nothing i had no emotion whatsoever so that didn't really work for me either um so i decided to come off those and i ended up going to see a drug and alcohol counselor at a very similar time. And I started going to sessions and it was good at the start and she'd give me homework to do and I was thinking, oh, no, I'm getting traction here, I'm, this is good. And then it just sort of fell off because I felt like she wasn't interested in our conversations anymore and it was just getting a bit blah for her. So hmm. I, I think it was more my head um, making excuses as to why um, I had to keep drinking, basically. I think it was just right. playing tricks, going, oh, she's not interested in what you're saying, so just keep drinking. Um, So I had my next birthday and I got completely drunk. Um, I actually fell over, hit my head on a retainer wall, like my chin on a retainer wall, and I thought I had broken my, not at the time, but when I woke up the next morning, my whole chin was black and I thought I'd broken my jaw. It was just so painful. Um, But yeah, it's just those silly things that I was doing, um, particularly when I was single, that was, yeah, really bad.
0: Right. Because you have less of an anchor, right? You're kind of like a a free floating individual. You're just trying to get by, you're trying to feel good, escape from that feeling deep down that like, yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm not good enough. Or if people know me, they won't even want to hang out with me unless I'm sort of life of the party, Mary. Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: Just a good time. Yeah. That's what's so tough about quitting alcohol and drugs I think is that there's almost that belief that people won't like you unless you're sort of acting in that way Mm. um did did you have friends that as you started to get help and as you started to get treatment did how did your friends react were they still around for you or did they have that uh reaction of hey Mary's not partying anymore let's not talk to her
1: I had lots of friends that fell off, like fell away. Um, I had lots of friends that fell away anyway because I broke up with my ex-husband because I had lots of drinking friends, I suppose, back then. Um, I had lots of friends that sort of came in and out because I were, they were just drinking friends. And then there were those friends that have stayed to me to, till today. So um, the friends that knew that you know I wasn't great at that time and would call me out on my behaviour and and things like that. Those true friends that will tell you when you're not looking so great or um, you know, will when out when they're out with you will say, oh, I think you've had enough, or you know, they'll take mm, your credit card right. and they'll say stop spending, you know, all of those things. So some of those friends have stayed with me till today. However, there's been some or a lot that have dropped off. There were also lots of friends, particularly when I was in that drug taking phase, um where i felt like i just had to be with my partner because there were lots of friends of mine that he didn't particularly like as well so um that's when i i just dropped all those friends um, and they were particularly good friends, but I've rebuilt those relationships again. So they're now backing some of those people are back in my life now, which is really good.
0: Don't you, don't you just love those relationships where they make you cut off any good part of your life? That's mm. awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it was intentional. Like it was my, that was obviously the way that I felt about myself. And I felt like I had to please people all the time. So it was not my partner's fault by any stretch. And I'm no, by no means saying that. Um, it was mm. the way I felt about myself and the way the people that I was drawn to at that time. Um, so yeah. And no, they're not great. Those relationships definitely not.
0: Okay. So it's your birthday. You start to drink again. Um, and does this continue for a period of time? Do you start going back to the same behaviors and drinking steadily?
1: Yep. It just went straight back. So I was then going to the bottle, bottle shop after work every night, getting two or three bottles of wine and, um, and the doing- bottle shop. I love that. Yeah. I've never heard that too. <laughs> what do you call it?
0: Liquor store. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I like we that, call it the bottle shop, shop here. <laughs> it's
1: nice. Um, yeah, so I would after the after work, I would that's what that would be my pattern is to I would be thinking about drinking while I'm at work. Um I'm so thankful I never drank at work or before work. I'm very thankful for that, um but my drinking was definitely way out of control because I was waking up with a permanent hangover every day of the week. Um, I never felt great. My body was almost shutting down at one point. It was not good. it was not not pretty. Um, and how so- long did that go on for? So that went on. I moved out on my own for the very first time, which was probably not the best move. And I drank to excess, like, really bad um, when I'd moved out on my own um, because I knew that there was no one there making me accountable for anything. So then decided, no, I'm going to stop once again. Didn't have a plan um, and just went straight into I'm not drinking. I'll just do this Um, went out to parties and when you first stop drinking and you don't have a plan, you go out and it just seems awkward or you feel awkward. You feel awkward around other people drinking. You want to drink. Um, You think that you're boring. All these things go through your head and you start catastrophizing again about your insecurities and what people are thinking of you when, in fact, they're probably not thinking about you at all. They're actually just drinking. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs)
0: they're too busy um, thinking about what you think about them
1: yeah, probably <laughs> um so that's um that's what happened for a while and I quit once again for a few months again um that didn't work again um but the reason why it didn't work that time was I then met my um now husband and we ended up going to Spain so I didn't drink for the first so we we met in the July of the 2012, and then we ended up going to Spain in September. And I thought we're going to Spain. I'll have a drink. And I said to him, I think I'll have a drink. And he's like, Why not? Um, you know, it should be okay because I don't think it's he realized. I don't think he realized the yeah. extent when I when I met up with him again. I said, Please don't let me drink because I'm not good when I'm drinking, um, and he knew that from when we were when we just finished high school because I would always be out drunk at parties after high school and things like that when we were celebrating so he knew I wasn't good when I was drunk but he just thought we were on holidays she'll be okay she'll be able to have a drink on holidays and then go back to normal but in fact I drank it nearly every day of our holidays and then went had a great holiday but um, then um, when I got back I just kept drinking every day and it and he just thought it was something I enjoyed doing after work, like just having a few drinks. And and it didn't really affect our relationship. So I think because we were so close and we had that connection um, from when we were younger as well, I don't think it really overly affected our relationship and the love that we had for each other. I think it was more um, there were times he was concerned that I was probably drinking too much. It was more when... I was in leadership roles when I had all this responsibility and stress, and uh, then I ended up working with offenders as well, and that was really stressful. So he actually said that was that was the most you drank when you were working um, in that job. So what, what job was that with offenders? Um, so I so I worked um, for the government and worked. Um, Almost like managing case managers to I work with, working with offenders. Yeah, so they would get court orders from court uh, from court to go on community, and and we would have to manage those. Um, so you would often get aggressive people, or you'd have people that were drug affected, or you know that were drunk coming into appointments and things like that, being aggressive and um, destroying property and all of that kind of thing. So you ha- I had to manage the case managers that were working with these people. So. So I was the one often coming in when they were not good or not happy. So and I had to manage those situations. So that was really stressful, um, and that's when my drinking was at its worst.
0: So when did that finally reach a head? When did you start to realize that okay, I actually really do have a problem with this? Mm,
1: so that was the last, the last of the last times, I suppose. <laughs> then then it um, my mum got really sick in two thousand and fifteen and found out she had uterine cancer so we that was really devastating so I was continuing to drink I thought it was you know it was it was the worst thing in the world to to realize that your mum was really unwell and then she got progressively worse over the four years that um, she was still with us and then she just got progressively worse and then it just got to 2017 about august 2017 i was watching these videos online and um you know they were they were using phrases like you know alcohol is not the joy juice you know it claims to be and all of that kind of thing and i watched this series of videos over the course of the next few months and i decided to like take selfies over a 40-day period i decided to document and journal how I was feeling when I woke up with a hangover and all of those things. So I was almost prepping myself to quit. So then it got to um, Christmas of 2017. And I thought I'll have one, one more day where I just get really drunk and that was on Christmas day. And we had a really good day, like where we're dancing and, you know, with mom and whatnot, because we thought that might be her last Christmas. And then on December 26, 2017, I said, this is my last day. I woke up with the worst hangover I think I've ever had, ever. And I just said, that's it. I've had enough. Um, So there was prepping involved in that. There was planning what I was going to do when I was going out to drink. Um, So even those months beforehand, if I went out with friends, I would make them accountable. I'd say, can you take my credit card? Can you make me not drink as much? Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things. I did progressively slow down the way I was drinking over that time um, because I knew that I was sort of slowing down my drinking. So, because I really wanted to quit for good this time, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: that was the last time I drank. So, yeah, that was the very last day. So, twenty-six. Congratulations! uh, Yeah, thank you.
0: Coming up five years. Coming up on five. No, no.
1: Um, two seventeen. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I will be three and a half years in. June
0: I think it will be yeah
1: that's awesome yeah, you yeah look, it look is like
0: you're doing well yeah you look like you're, you're feeling good now I think I it's, am. it's always interesting to see like there's there's a difference between um someone who is putting on that sort of customer service face and like mm. just just smiling because they're working in hospitality or something versus someone who's like sharing with me their sober date yeah and you can just see their face like glow a little bit because like that is a big deal like that is like a significant amount of time considering how hard it was for you when you're trying these different things you're you're telling yourself you don't want to drink anymore but then you find yourself hung over the next day it's um it is a significant thing and I think it is it's always amazing to see people's faces light up when they when they share that they're sober
1: oh uh, no it's definitely yeah it's a great feeling and and listen it's no I'm not going to lie you know getting alcohol free is you know a big thing and um you know, and I've probably used the word sober during this, but I don't normally use the word sober or sobriety because it's just, it's not a permanent word for me. So that's why I like to use alcohol-free, um, just because it's, it seems more permanent to me, yeah, that my life is alcohol-free.
0: By focusing on free, right, it almost makes it sound like when it was with alcohol, there was a, there was a type of enslavement, there was a type of bondage there where it's almost like you're depending on this drug, you're depending on this to feel good. Um, Now that you're free of it, how do you feel good? How do you sort of, how did you respond to this uh, deeper insecurity or this sense of catastrophizing all the time? How do you manage those things?
1: So I, and I talked about journaling earlier, but I journal all the time. Um, So I write my feelings down. I, um, ask myself questions, you know, like, you know, those, um, you know, the what, the where's, the how's, you know, instead of just asking myself why, I'm trying to get to that deeper meaning as to why I drank. Um, And that was the whole purpose of writing the book is to get so that other people can do that too. Um, So there's lots of journal prompts and things like that and that's what I did. So that's what I um, wrote wrote, not only writing the book, but they're the types of questions I ask myself. Um, so it's just learning to, um, affirm that you're a good person and you're, um, you know, the way that you live and the way that you interact with people and the way that you are as a person is good. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing to shy away from even the things that the little quirks that you have, that's okay. Just embrace those things. So I used to think all those things were just terrible, you know, my hair wasn't right, this wasn't right, whatever. Um, and it's, it's it's fine. People aren't even noticing any of those things. And it was always about how other people perceived me as well. So it wasn't actually how I felt about myself. But now I truly like myself. I don't really care what other people think of me, to be honest. Um, it, obviously the people I love. But, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, but as in other people that are sort of insignificant to me, it's, it doesn't bother me.
0: Yeah, you have a very select sort of board of directors on your life, and then everyone else, the peanut gallery, can shut up.
1: Basically, <laughs> I, think that's... I like that board of directors.
0: <laughs> how how do you get there though? I think it's it's so uh, it just sounds too easy. Just journal a little bit. Like here's some journal. It's practice. not
1: journaling a little bit, Adrian. It's journaling a lot.
0: <laughs> okay, so what what is a lot? Is it every night? Is it um, like what's the extent of your journaling?
1: So I every moment i I, or every opportunity i got if i had a feeling in my head i would document it so um because the catastrophizing for me in my head it i still feel it i still get i could still catastrophize but i have affirmations that dumbs that down so you, you need to know your triggers you need to know when those things are starting to get out of control um so it's identifying, like, going back and, and digging a bit deeper than going, oh, I drink because I've got insecurities. Um, it's more around, well, why do I have those insecurities? Is it because, and like what you are asking me before, yes, it probably did go back to when I was a kid and, um, you know, people would make throwaway comments like, you know, you're fat or you're ugly or, you know, and then that sticks and you think that it's true. And then that sort of continues through your life and it just gets worse. And then when someone else says it, you think, well, it must be true because I've got more than one person telling me this. Um, So it's getting to that deeper level and saying, well, where did it come from? Where did those Mm -hmm. things come from? And if it was simply because someone was telling you something and they didn't even know who you were, you know, it's about sort of being comfortable and then sort of working on that affirming behavior of, of saying, well, I am good enough and, and, you know, like I like myself the way I am and focusing on the positives about yourself, you know, like we all focus on the negatives and look at social media and go they're prettier and they're funnier and they're this, but what are the good things about ourselves, you know, we're always focusing on negative, 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 you know, let's focus on the positive things about ourselves. Um,
0: so let's say I'm about to do this podcast. Let's, let's give a, like a real world scenario, free coaching for me as well. (laughs) I'm about to do this podcast. I'm sitting here before the interview and an insecurity comes up, a thought comes up and I start to feel like anxiety. I start to feel like, Oh, who am I to do an interview? Who am I? Like, I'm, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm just learning how to Mm -hmm. do a podcast. Mm -hmm. So I would basically take out my journal Mm -hmm. and then just write down exactly like what thought I'm having. Yes. Like, literally who am I to do a podcast then I would write down like good things about myself like why I'm good at doing is that sort of exactly
1: right so cool so you know and then focusing on those positives so when you go to do the podcast like I'm not gonna lie like I have negative thoughts when I even started talking to you I think everyone does but I think you know for me it's focusing on the message for other people not focusing on me um it's not about me it's about the people I want to help. Um, so it's about the message and for people to, to think, you know, I can do this too. Um, I can, I can be alcohol free too. Um, if that person can do it, I can do it. Um, so it's not just that it's even, you know, it, I'm not, I'm not even telling you that there's a cookie cutter way to quit alcohol um, because there's not, and this is why I wrote yeah. the book because it's, I want people to do it their way and I want. that's why the journal prompts are the most important thing in the book because it's about you discovering what works for you. Because for someone, AA might be, the, you know, the be-all and end-all for their alcohol-free journey. However, for me that wasn't the case. Um, that wasn't going to be something that worked for me because I don't like being in big groups of people. So um, that was never going to be something worked for me and I'm quite as much as I'm talking to you on a podcast I'm quite a private person normally yeah you're doing I mean hey you've shared a lot so far you're doing great (laughs) but I'm okay too now this is the thing Adrian because many years ago I wouldn't have shared any of this so I would have covered up the fact that I drank so much I would have put on a facade that no I don't drink that much I only drink two or three glasses a night you know whereas I was drinking two or three bottles a night because I didn't want people to judge me But now it's like, I don't care because I know that there's people out there that will hear this story and go, I do that too. And I know that I can do this because she's done that. So um, I want people to have the confidence that there are other people out there that have gone through this. And I am willing to share my story now because I want to help people.
0: And I think what you're doing is helping people not only get free from alcohol, because I think that. Um, like you said, there isn't a cookie cutter way to do that. It is it is very complex. But what you are at least what I'm getting from you mm-hmm. from talking to you so far is you're giving people tools for how to address why they drank in the first place, which is for you was those insecurities. For you it was right. the the thoughts in your head, this this like just inner sense of like, Oh God, I just need a drink. Like mm-hmm. that that sense, like that insecurity is um It's universal in addictions, but I think it's also universal for most people. They have those insecurities come up. And that's why I keep driving at this question and I keep trying to get like, (laughs) tell me more. Like, how do I do this? Because like, how long did it take you? How many how long did it take you that you're just pulling out your journal every day, every like few hours before you started to realize like, hey, I'm kind of comfortable with who I am.
1: When did I start feeling comfortable with who I was? I would say it's probably only been in the last year that I've truly been comfortable with who I am. So, even writing this book, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not good enough, people are not going to read this. This is Right even when I was editing the book, it's like, this is not good enough. I need to change this. I need to change that. And I'm sure I completely did people's heads in my book coach, my what the formatter. I'm sure I completely did everyone's head in because I was wanting to change everything. Cause I'm also a perfectionist. And that's another thing that I have to work on as well, that I need to just be happy that people are just going to want to read it the way it is. Um, so, and I was comfortable with that. And I'm happy with the products that I've, out so there are going to be people that are not going to like it but that's okay I'm happy with that yeah so um whereas if you asked me that two years ago I would have went no (laughs) everyone's gonna love it (laughs)
0: it's such a good attitude to have I really think that um one of the attitudes I try and keep with doing this podcast is um a sense of me being a student like me learning how to do something so even if you're right, some people might listen to this episode and be like, what the hell are they talking about? This is, and and just end it right there. Yeah. But I'm still doing this. I'm still learning how to be a podcast host. I'm still learning about addiction recovery. I'm learning from you how to do these different things. So that's one of the attitudes I try and keep.
1: You're exactly right, Adrian. It's about, you know, learning from other people. And I think if you still have that sense of curiosity about you um, moving through everything, I think- that's where you start to relax some of those feelings because I know when I was at work and I was high achieving, if I, if people saw me even sleep just a little bit, I would be paranoid that people would be thinking, oh, my performance is dropping or, you know, I would be paranoid what people are thinking about me. But now it's just because I didn't have that sense of curiosity about learning. And I think you're exactly mm. right in what you're saying. It's, it's about learning. This book is about learning about yourself, um, about not just about drinking really because you're going to be learning about what makes you tick, I suppose, um, you know, without me telling you how to do that. This book is definitely not a I'm going to tell you how to do this because right? because as we talked about earlier, it's not a cookie cutter approach. There's no cookie cutter approach to anything, losing weight, you know, quitting smoking, whatever. Everyone's got different ways to do things because we've all got different personalities and, we just want to do it the way we want to do it because we've experienced different things. You know, some people might have experienced really serious trauma as a young person um, or even as an adult. And, you know, that could be the reason why they drink as well. Your approach with journaling, it reminds me a lot
0: of cognitive behavioral therapy, sort of looking at the cognitions, like looking at, did you ever do any type of therapy?
1: Um, So I studied psychology. Um, My, oh, first, my first degree was psych. Um, but I didn't actually finish it. Um, So I did three years and then decided that um, I wanted to do something else. And then I stopped for a little bit and then um, decided I wanted to study criminology instead. So which was a mixture of sociology, um, psychology um, and law. So that's why I thought I'll I'll do that. So I, I ended up getting that degree in that. And during those obviously through those two degrees, you learn a little bit about COT too. So, yeah.
0: Right. So you were kind of taking these ideas that you might have come across in readings and then applying it to yourself, I guess, with, with sort of doing this journaling and.
1: Definitely. And I think um, there's, you know, there was a lot of um, alcohol-free books I read. Um, that was another thing that I did um, as part of my preparation to quit Right. Was every night before bed I would read and I would, you know, listen, you know, read other people's stories. And there were lots of memoirs that I read um, because there was a lots of memoirs that were available at that time. And there was one thing that just came out of it. Every time I was reading a book, I was just like, I just wanted someone to just give me some prompts or something that was going to help me do it the way that I wanted to do it. And that's what led to writing the book. So initially I was going to write a memoir, um, similar to what I'd already read. And then I was like, no, I think I want to write something that I wanted to see at that time. So filling that gap, like yeah. filling
0: what, what wasn't really there for yeah, you, yeah, that's
1: exactly right. And yeah, like it may like what we were talking about before about people judging you and things like that. It may not be for everybody this book, but that's okay. You know, like because that's the whole purpose of the book is doing something your way. So if you think not would like it, that's okay. I'm all, I'm not cool. with that. <laughs> that's cool.
0: <laughs> I think uh, it's so dangerous. I think the, the whole attitude of worrying so much about what other people think about you. What else did you do that helped you stop thinking in terms of what other people are thinking and start to look at it in
1: terms of, okay, I'm going to create value? I think going back to what you said before, it's about taking those walls down, taking those bricks down in that layer and that facade that I had up for so long um and saying no I'm not always this happy person all the time I do you know have down days and I do have a personality apart from just being happy all the time which I used to put on for people I used to want people to think I was a happy person I think for us we need to sort of take that brick wall down and um and, and and it is Deep and hard work, whether that's through counselling, whether that's through the journal, whether that's through anything, you need to get to the bottom of why are you doing that? Why are you putting up that facade? Why are you putting up, up that brick wall? So yeah, it's not for me to tell anyone how to do that. It's just for me, it was more about once again, just being open to learning from other people so I might not be right about everything and I used to be quite stubborn and go no I'm right I'm right um but now I don't do that it's like it's taking that down and going that person might have something to offer so take that on board
0: tell me more about the life and recovery so uh, after you sort of made that promise to yourself you started to um to do these things to follow some of the recommendations you'd seen you're doing this journaling um what's life been like for you in the last three years
1: oh it's been so good like in in the last three like I would probably say the first year was quite tough because you know obviously you still have those thoughts I could just have one glass of wine and then you're like no you know (laughs) I can't do that it's about acknowledging where your limits are so there are some people that can just have two glasses of wine and they're fine um but for someone like myself I can't even it can't even touch my lips and Because if I had one sip of wine, I would be all over. I'd be back drinking again. So it's about the associations that I have with alcohol. That was another big thing is having those associations with alcohol and reading about alcohol and what it does to your body um, and what it does to your brain as well. Um, I know my brain's permanently affected from drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, There's times I zone out and there's times that I can't focus and there's times that that just happens um but i know that that's affected me so i i know that and now i just have a clearer that clearer mind um to be able to focus on the things that i enjoy you know like i just enjoy the simple things now adrian like i'll wake up in the morning and go i'm actually awake at six o'clock in the morning um i can stay up till 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night or whatever it is um you know, and I can wake up fresh and bounce out of bed. And some days I don't, but um, you know, it's just such a different way of, of looking at life. And then just you know, there was up the other morning I woke up and there was hot hot air balloons out like a, above my house. You know, like and it's just noticing those really beautiful things in life that you don't really ever notice when you're constantly in a hangover, and every you know, life just seems so difficult. Also. The artwork, I actually dropped off doing my artwork for um, a very long time, I mean, in particular when I was drinking so much, because it just took up so much of my time. Um, and having that love for my art again is just amazing to me because I feel like when I was younger, when I was truly getting into my artwork. so. When I was in year 12, um, which was my final year of high school, I was heavily into my artwork. I was drawing every day. I was painting every day. And I've now gone gone back to that where I've just enjoyed it. I get lost in it when I'm doing it. And that's just gold to me, the fact that now now being alcohol-free, I can focus on those things I enjoy.
0: It's so crazy how addiction can take away the things that we love, like Mm. these little hobbies, these interests. They just, they go away for years. Like they just, they're totally uninteresting in the middle of addiction. But then once you get out that other side, it's like, oh yeah, art. That's something (laughs) that I love to do. That's really, it's really amazing you've had that experience. You mentioned earlier that you were an overachiever, that you approached your work with this mindset. Being sober now, has that changed the way that you look at your work?
1: I am not so full on about my work now. So I like to focus my, or put all my efforts into the things I love. So um, I'm now studying a bachelor of fine art, or digital design and fine art. No way. Um, So I've gone back to studying again, how crazy. (laughs) People just think I'm a permanent student these days. Um, So I just, and it goes back to that learning thing that you were talking about before. It's just like having that passion to learn something new when I was doing my artwork in E12 you get to the point and you think you know everything you don't you don't know everything and I don't think we ever will know everything um and I think you know I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because yeah that's truly is the key um or one of the keys to to me opening up myself and not being so full-on about my work and thinking I had to be perfect at everything and Um, yes I do my job really well Um, I work as an advocate and um, and I you know I think I do my job really well Um, but I don't do it to the extent that I used to so I'm now in a lower position I'm not in a leadership role anymore but I'm quite happy doing that because I like to put my energies into my writing and also my artwork so and my husband and my dog of course
0: (laughs) yeah you've been you've been busy this last year you've been producing quite a bit so yeah i think it's i think it's exciting to sort of see Uh, moving energy in in other directions do you see more of that in your future what are you planning for the next few years with regards to the recovery community with regards to I guess you're you're going to be in school soon and you're going to get that degree
1: yeah so I'm doing that by like online so um so I'm doing that while I'm working and while I'm doing all of this other stuff and most people think I'm crazy but I'm better when I'm busy like I'm much better when I'm busier um and not for the whole alcohol-free thing. It's just I think I'm quite happy, you know, you know, being at home and with my husband and not drinking. Um, that's just become just a way of life now. And I think when it gets to that point where it's a way of life, um, that's when you know that it's going to stay and it's going to be a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. Yeah. So with, with the um, – sorry, I didn't really answer your question in relation to the, the alcohol-free community, but – Um, I'm going to obviously do more podcasts and hopefully potentially do one of my own um, and maybe write another book.
0: (laughs) You don't want to, you don't want to promise it. You don't want to (laughs) overcommit.
1: Well, I just want to sort of write off this one for a little while. Um, And then, so I've still, I'm still yet to launch this book, even though it's available to buy. Um, I want to officially launch it. Um, But, you know doing things like this is is obviously going to help with launch so yeah so thank you for having me on anyway
0: well listen mary it's been really fun having you on the show and uh before we wrap up is there anything else that you want to share is there any anything you'd want to share particularly to someone who's sort of starting
1: to realize they might have a
0: problem with alcohol and not sure where to go
1: i think that you know like maybe one of the tips that i would just say to people is you know don't be so hard on yourself don't be so hard on yourself and if you do have those times when you're trying to quit and trying to quit and trying to quit don't don't be hard on yourself when you're back at day one again I do see a lot of people on Facebook and they're so hard on themselves and they're saying even on Instagram I'm back at day one again it's okay it's okay to be back at one day one again it just means it's not your time to quit um so I think that's probably a really number one tip for me is that don't be so hard on yourself you know give yourself that time to work out why you're drinking um and that will really help moving forward yeah
0: I really like that I think relapse and handling relapse not going into that shame spiral that like dangerous sort of self-deprecating place I think I really like that you you emphasize that that's awesome definitely
1: it's it's if I'm going to have any any tips for anybody is don't be hard on yourself when you're trying to quit and you end up back at day one again it's um it's a real um it's a real journey and i know i know that's just a word everyone uses but it is a a real journey going on your alcohol free you know into an alcohol free life but thank you for having me on it's been fun
0: yeah, I wish you the best on the rest of your journey. I really am excited to see more stuff come along the way for the recovery community, whether it's a book or a podcast. I'm excited to see what you do. And it's been a total pleasure having you on the show.
1: Aw, oh, thanks, Adrian.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addictive Pod. If you haven't already, please follow the show to be notified for next week's episode. And go check out Mary's website. It is marystuart.net.au. That's where you can find her social media, her blog posts, and of course, her new book, Living an Alcohol-Free Life Your Way. Until next Wednesday, take care and remember, we recover together.